Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali, and I'm so glad you found this show as a way to say how grateful I am because you show up every week to listen to this show. I created this list of 101 ways that you may spice up your relationship in the bedroom. It's completely free. It's my gift to you, and you can find the link in the show notes. Today on our podcast, we're talking about low sexual desire. As many of you guys are aware, this month we're focusing on men's wellness because this episode, this series is airing on month of November and this will be part of that series. I'm very excited about our guest today. Our guest is Dr. Ian Kerner. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist and nationally recognized sexuality counselors. He is a New York Times bestselling author. She comes first and he regularly consults for articles in major publications such as The Atlantic and The Economist. And he also writes on the topic of sex for CNN Health. Ian was born and raised in New York City and he maintains a private practice and lives with his family there. Before I go to our interview, I wanted to thank our sponsor, Permescent. Permescent is a sexual wellness company. We talked about their delay spray previous episodes and they have tons of different products. In addition to the spray, they have Vitaflox, which is a vitamin. They have female arousal gel, all sorts of lubricants and before and after sex wipes. One thing that I wanted to share with you guys that's a little bit funny is that they were so generous that they sent me a number of different products of their company because I always believe that I gotta try what I'm promoting. I'm well familiar with their delay spray, but they sent me this supplements called Vitaflux. And I am so cautious when it comes to taking supplements, but I, was, but I was thinking, okay, if they want me to mention the supplements, let me try it. So this was three weeks ago. And what they talk about when they're promoting their this vitamin, they say increase libido and desire for men and women. And I was thinking, okay, I just want to make sure that this is not causing any kind of having, having any side effects because I have a very sensitive stomach. So I was, I was thinking if it works for me, me, perhaps it can work for our listeners as well. Interestingly, I started taking it and this is in the midst of this presidential election in the United States. So I definitely noticed an increase in my desire, but I've been very angry. So I realized the, com- <laughs> the combination of angry and horny is not a good combination, but definitely I felt that the supplements were working. Anyhow, if you are interested in their product, check out the website at promescent.com. And if you entered and reference our code, Sexology 15, uh, you will get a 15% off and they offer free shipping on over of $10 a product. All right, here's my conversation with Ian Kerner. Hello 
everyone, welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am very excited to have a wonderful sex therapist, Ian Turner, on our show. Ian, welcome to our show. Uh, hello. Hello. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. You know, I, I, I haven't shared this with you uh, as we were doing the conversation. I love your book and I know you wrote it for men, but it's one of the wittiest and one of the best informative books that I recommend to my, my female clients because I feel when it comes to sex education, people is just so dry and especially around anatomy. And I, I loved your book. I think the sense of humor was wonderful. You know, thank you. It's, it's, I wrote it now about 20 years ago. It was published in 2004. So I must have started writing it in, you know, 2002 or so. And um, it's funny because 20 years later, if I were to read it again, I'm sure I'd want to change so much about it because you, you just don't stay the same over 20 years. Uh, so I haven't really gone back to look at it or read it because I feel like it's it, it does it stays out there. So why mess with it? Why touch it? You know, well, it's a wonderful book. I read it in a graduate school. And then last week, I, I like to reread my guest's book and I was listening to it as, as I was buying. And I was laughing out loud. <laughs> it's again the contest is fantastic, but I think that you have a great way of presenting material as well. Well, thank you. It was an important message and one that I'm very passionate about. Excellent. So I want us to focus on desire. This is going to go live for the month of November, and in this series, we're focusing on men's wellness. Tell us. I see a lot of men in my practice that they're struggling with low desire. What are some of the kind of psychological reasons that cause someone to struggle with that? Sure. And the first thing I should say is I don't think we mentioned the title of the book. So right. you know, <laughs> she comes first for right. Any of your right. listeners who want to know. So we're talking about low male desire and, and what are some of the psychological factors. I mean, I think just the fact that we're talking about low male desire is interesting because Usually when we think of men and sex, we often think of men as being ready to go or being walking erections. And we think of sometimes uh, a female partner as being the low desire partner. But, you know, in fact, in so many of the couples that I work with uh, in long-term relationships, it's often the male partner who um, has low desire. And, uh, and a lot of men, I think, struggle with these internalized notions around what male sexuality should look like. They should have a lot of desire. They should, um, you know, always be at the ready. So I think men struggle also with some of the, the, the stereotypes around male desire. You know, I, I believe, first of all, that desire is, um, is complex. It's, it's, it's rich, right? So there's never any one reason desire has many functions and it has many variables. So to me, it's sort of like the stock market. It goes up and it goes down. And it could be for 10,000 different reasons that combine on any given day or in any given period. So, you know, certainly uh, with any sexual problem, we want to look at it through a, a biopsychosocial interpersonal lens, right? So just looking at desire, are there men who are taking medications that have side effects that affect desire? Yes, we're living in an age where we are more and more medicalizing our psychological issues or and those have sexual side effects. So a lot of my patients are working on sort of a trade-off between mental health and sexual desire. I think a lot of people 
men right now, especially, are, are very challenged, certainly in the workforce. I work with a lot of men who don't have um, steady jobs or at a point where their work doesn't feel validating. And I think when you start to not feel validated at work, especially for my male patients, I think that that really affects self-esteem. And I think self-esteem plays a big role in sexual desire as well. So when you don't feel good about yourself psychologically, it's it's hard to feel good about sexuality. I think a big thing that, 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 that might be less obvious is that, you know, in our relationships, as relationships evolve and as culture evolves, we more and more want to self-actualize, both in our individual lives and in our relationships. And I think more and more we also want to self, self-actualize self on an erotic level and, and a sexual level, right? So we come to expect a lot of our partners these days. We want them to share in responsibilities and obligations and in child care and in cooking and in making money and in paying bills. But we also want our partners to be on a journey with us and growing. And we want to feel like our story and our identities are continuing to expand. And sexuality and eroticism is a big part of that journey. And so I think when desire starts to go down, sometimes it's that our relationships aren't expanding anymore. Our relationships are becoming too predictable or, or too too boring or there isn't a space for our erotic personalities or our erotic personalities get expressed through watching porn or masturbation or sometimes through uh, affairs and infidelity. So we more and more need the tools to expand an erotic space that could lend itself more to desire, if that makes sense. Yes. And you know, it's wonderful that you talked about people feeling challenged at work. So as, as are my listeners now, and you can probably guess from my accent, I'm Iranian and I'm an immigrant. And I see a lot of my immigrant couples, heterosexual couples having struggles around sexual functioning, especially maintaining erection, getting an erection, after moving because their entire self-identity sometimes changes and your social class changes. And at times we talk about how your self-image and who you are can play a role in the bedroom. So it's interesting. I see a lot of that. You know, and with men and with women, I think anxiety is the the enemy of, of arousal. I mean, anxiety just does havoc on the body that makes it very difficult to be in a state of uh, relaxed relaxation and mindfulness and presence. And, and arousal and both men and women are very subject to um, different types of sexual anxiety. And once that gets into, in, into the brain and into the relationship, it, it, it's kind of like a virus. It can, it can really spread that anxiety and create an ongoing feed, feedback loop every time there's a possibility of being sexual. So I think in general, anxiety plays a, a huge role in affecting both uh, desire and sexual function. And of course, if there is a sexual function issue, right, if you're going to have sex and you know, hey, I might not have an orgasm or I might not get an erection or I might ejaculate too quickly, you start to avoid sex. And one defense mechanism for avoiding sex is also starting to shut down desire or becoming disconnected or dissociated 
from your erotic energy that would lead itself to desire. Absolutely. And I love that you talked about the boredom piece. And I talk about the boredom piece a lot. And I was so excited when you uh, attended the talk you had and you mentioned that you did a sexual boredom study. So can you tell us more about that study? What did you find? Yeah, that, that study is getting on in its age a little bit, but I, so I have to remember it. Uh, but I did it a number of years ago with a, a research room professor from the University of Kentucky now, Kristen Mark. And um, we did a study just into the idea of uh, boredom and how that affects relationships and sexuality. And I think we, um, I think we interviewed about 3,500 um, people, heterosexual and gay and male and female. And um, what we came up with was that over 50% of the respondents were, were bored in their relationships. Some were extremely bored and some were moderately bored, but it really added up to a large percentage of boredom. And, and sex was, was one of the main areas, you know, in which they were bored. And yeah, you know, sex requires a, a little bit of uh, unpredictability, a little bit of novelty and expansion. You can't just rely on attraction or, or chemistry. You need psychological arousal as well. You know, in this country, we really emphasize the sensual and the bodies in motion during sex, but really it's, it's, it's the minds in motion and, um, and couples, especially in long-term relationships develop really rather specific sexual scripts around how they interact. So, um, there, yes, there is a lot of boredom and boredom kind of disincentivizes your interest and your motivation to have sex. The nice thing that we discovered though was the vast majority of respondents said that they would be really open to a sex, a sexy suggestion from their partner to begin to change the boredom. So I think that we are as a culture probably bored a lot bored during sex, especially in long-term relationships, but there is an opportunity to change that. I just don't know that we have the tools or the vocabulary at our fingertips to really do that. You know, there's a lot of shame around talking about sex and there's a lot of rigidity around how we define sex and shame, rigidity, all of that can lead to that state of sort of boredom. It's interesting that you, I know when I read it, I was thinking about how interesting that people are waiting for their partner to suggest it <laughs> instead of taking having this agent of this is what I want. Let's try it. So why do you feel like there's that disconnect? You know, I, I think at a big picture, think about it for a second. From the moment we're born, we're sort of being mirrored by hopefully loving caregivers. And uh, as we're growing up, they're helping us along and showing us how to be in the world and giving us language to express our emotions and where we feel hurt or disappointed or how we socialize as teenagers. If we need to, um, you know, do something, you know, our, our parents give us hopefully support or time or even tutoring. And just sexuality is just an area that, you know, all of my patients mainly have grown up in either sex negative homes or sex avoidant homes but really not sex positive homes. And so if you've never learned the language, if you've never really engaged in those conversations, yeah, it becomes really hard to have a sexual conversation. I work with couples 
They've been together 20 years. They have discussed everything. They go to bed every night and lie next to each other. And they have never talked about their sex lives until they come into my office. That's very common and very unfortunate because I feel people are setting themselves up for failure. Like when it comes to sexual excitement, in a sense, because they're thinking about, okay, I'm not going to talk about what I like with my partner. I explore it in kind of like in the realm of maybe porn, maybe erotica. She's like, nothing wrong with that, but I'm not sharing it with my partner. We're doing the same positions like hundreds and hundred times. And then there is this expectation of what they call emotional fidelity and kind of psychological fidelity at time. I hear from my clients, oh God, I figured out that my partner was fantasizing about someone else during sex and they get so mad and felt betrayed. But I feel like excitement needs to come from somewhere. So whether you're acting it out or thinking about it. You know, absolutely. I mean, one of the main things I emphasize in my practice is the cultivation of psychological arousal. I mean, for example, women can fantasize their way to orgasms. I mean, it certainly helps to both fantasize and stimulate yourself physically. But sometimes when I'm working with men who have um, erectile unpredictability and we're trying to discern the extent to which it's physical or psychological, I might ask men the next time you're masturbating and you're sitting down to watch some exciting porn, don't touch yourself. How long are you able to get an erection? And men will come back and say, yeah, three or four minutes, I I really was feeling it. I I had an erection. So that's the power of fantasy. It, It translates or fantasy or psychological arousal and psychological stimulation. It translates into physical stimulation. But if our psychological erotic lives are inert, if they're dead, then then it's very hard to 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 have an interesting sex life and and to cultivate desire. So I work a lot with couples almost around if you weren't even going to touch each other's bodies, how would you give each other orgasms if all you could do is talk to the other person? You know, I want them to really get in that habit of um being able to share their erotic themes and the things that they're erotically curious about and find that language. Well, I think that is so important. And definitely I talk about it my female client because they feel like they they feel like they they have no idea what they like at times when when we're exploring it we get tons of good information but even with my male clients that they're more at least more socialized than women that that's okay to think about sex when i ask people they say you know i i i don't have any fantasies and they feel like you know they they're just completely disconnected to do what they like what do you how do you recommend those group of people to get connected with what they like well you know one of my favorite books on the topic of sort of um fantasy and imagination is a book called the erotic mind by mm-hmm. Jack Marin, and it's very accessible so i do a lot of what would be called bibliotherapy giving readings and so I'll often for someone who says they they don't really have a fantasy like yes we'll we'll talk about it but I will often give them um you know that book to even begin to organize the idea of having erotic themes and sometimes you know especially men will come in and say oh I don't have any fantasies but then when you talk about like the porn that they're interested in and they go back sometimes to the same clips over and over for years or the same genres. Well, those genres have themes, right? And those clips have uh, erotic themes. And an erotic theme, look, it could be a behavior, right? A sexual behavior, whether it's intercourse or 
fellatio could be more than just the behavior. It could, or cunnilingus or whatever. It could, it can have a, a theme to it around power and submission. And, um, you know, so I actually think a lot of people have erotic imaginations. They're just often like we sit down to watch Netflix or we sit down to watch, um, TV or we're watching porn. Those themes are sort of being fed to us via the media. But we are searching, we are seeking out the things that interest us and get us eroticized and get us curious. Especially so go ahead. begin there. Yeah. And especially I feel in this time and age, because I feel like back in the day, like when you were watching like VHS like porns, uh, then there you're watching the same thing. But right now I feel with this advanced algorithm, they kind of redefine like what you like. So they can kind of in a way label your kind of erotic template for you. Right. So that that is the sad part of sort of free porn in the age of, of SEO, where they can both take popular patterns, feed them back, and it becomes an, an endless sort of deterministic loop, where is that my fantasy or is that the, the porn that's being fed to me? Am I am I really into stepbrothers and stepsisters having sex with each other? Or is that just the, the porn that's available to me? So yes, you bring up an interesting problem. I also am a big fan of um, ethical porn, porn that isn't the kind of porn that you would just find on these, you know, major streaming sites, but, you know, porn where the actors are being paid and porn where there's, you know, can, certainly there's consent and people have more investment in the work. And out of that, there's more individuality, there's more quirkiness. I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, and I think the biggest renaissance is happening in female driven porn and, and in couples porn. And there you're finding film people who consider themselves filmmakers, you know, they're really, so there is, there is a lot of really um, interesting erotic material out there that could resonate, but you got to be willing to pay a little bit for something and, and to go find it. Well, I'm a huge advocate of that because I feel also there is this kind of you, if you are supporting the art and I think at times this form of art that you yeah. like and then you're gonna get more of that because you're supporting that that particular part of the industry which i think it's very important i don't feel the issue this time and age is like if people are watching porn because i think most people they watch some kind of a sexual entertainment it's just a matter of what are you supporting because someone is paying for what you're watching right. so it's right. important to be mindful right. of that. and it's like having premium channels on tv if you pay for something you're gonna get the great content Mm -hmm. <laughs> right, right. Great, great analogy. And you know, I love that you're helping people to tap into their own eroticism because it's my experience that at least many of my clients and even colleagues that they think, okay, the, there's an issue with desire. Let's go test the testosterone levels, all of those things, which can be an issue. But it's, I don't, I feel at times we're medicalizing the issue a lot. So if men are challenged with kind of like connecting with their eroticism, where would be a good place that you recommend them to start with? So you're saying if men are challenged by sort of tapping into their, um, you know, erotic imaginations. I, I often, you know, will tell men, you know, next time, let, let's take a break from masturbate. And then not from masturbate. Let's take a break from watching porn. Let's try different erotic stimuli just to open up other channels of input. Let's listen to an erotica podcast. Let's... Uh, 
you know, read some erotica out loud. Hey, by the way, like, what would a, a fantasy about your partner be? Or, you know, can you, can we start to create an erotic story, you know, that features a partner? Sometimes I can just ask a patient, a male patient, you know, how would you really like sex to go? Right? Like, what would be like a, a really hot sexual experience with your partner? And even in that, we can begin to, to tease out the eroticism and to, um, you know, tease out the context. And, and very often I will work with men to slowly construct fantasies that are really hot to them, that they can really masturbate to without going to porn. And, and already then they have something. And then I'll often say, well, go share that with your partner. Tell them you have a really hot, sexy fantasy that features them at the center of it. And I'm sure they'll be intrigued. Well, I think people, as you said, they get surprised how open their partners are because as, as you said in your study, they're waiting for you <laughs> to hear you making some kind of a suggestion. Yeah. And you know, it's funny, we did a, a follow-up study on um, sort of just sexual adventurousness, Kristen, Mark, and I, this idea of people are bored they should maybe be more adventurous. So we did a survey on sexual adventurousness and it turned out that uh, women were much more likely to initiate a sexual conversation, were much more likely to have engaged in more sexual, sexually adventurous behaviors uh, than their male partners and were much more likely to be the ones to initiate the conversation. So um, it's just interesting that in a lot of heterosexual relationships, it's often the uh, female partner who sort of has the proactive uh, sense of agency to get these conversations happening. And you know, it's interesting. I love Wednesday's Martin book that she talked about women are not necessarily low desire in relationship. They're just like these relationships at times is no longer as exciting for them. So I tell my clients, sometimes you're not inspired. So it's just a matter of tapping into that inspiration. So, and it's wonderful that you're right, that it can kind of help the both couples to explore the sexuality in a different way and connect with that sexual energy. Absolutely. Yeah. So Ian, I, I love like all of your training. I love the books that you're having. I hear you have different kind of a presentation. So if people want to know more about, we'll definitely leave a link in the to the book in the show notes, but your other books, other projects, where, where can they find yeah. you? So there's my website, iankerner.com. And, you know, that usually keeps people abreast of what I'm doing. I, I have a new book that's going to be coming out in, in April that I'm, you know, very proud of. It's, it's called, So Tell Me About the Last Time You Had Sex. And that's a question that I ask all of my patients and uh, it opens up a world of, of conversation. So I would say be on the lookout for a new book in uh, April. And in the meantime, you can find me on my website. I have just started to do more social media. I'd sort of uh, been a little old school and resisted that. But uh, I do have a, a Twitter feed now at Ian Kerner. I think this is the first time I've ever talked about it on a podcast or anything like that. I almost forgot about it. So yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I'm findable. <laughs> Wonderful. So I definitely encourage people to follow you since this is the new round that you're starting with the Twitter thing. But I, I also on your website, you have tons of great information. All the links will be in the show notes. And very excited about your book. This is wonderful news. Thank you. I've been working hard on it. And um, I'm very proud of it, as proud as she comes first. So Wonderful. So when, I hope when it gets published, please come back. We'd love to have this conversation, continue having this yeah. conversation. Uh, it'll be very nice. All right. Have a lovely day. Thank you. You too. Take care. 
I hope you enjoyed our conversation. I really like the idea of helping your partner become aroused just by talking to them. When I saw Ian talking on this topic in New York, I remember that he showed this movie clip of two people were just talking about what they would do to the partner. And it was just so hot and they climaxed together, which was fabulous. So, and I truly believe that this is a skill that anyone can practice and learn. And if you feel self-conscious about talking about sex with your partner or doing dirty talking, you can start small and build from that. We had in previous episodes, we had experts talking about this topic. Anyhow, thank you so much for listening to our show. If you like this show, it means a lot to me if you take a moment and write us a review on iTunes or Stitchers. I'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.